I really wanted to hone in on what the best opportunity will be. And, you know, over the course of a year or so, um, you know, I really narrowed in on the um, uh, this sort of idea that the biggest uh, platform in esports won't be Twitch or won't be Discord. It's going to be a platform built around the essence of why people play video games, which is um, to build community and connect with their community, but to also, you know, compete, right? And so this idea that there can be a competitive community for gaming and for esports and you can then monetize that and you know, get some sort of subscription business model was really attractive to me. You know, it's a big, big, super broad vision and uh, certainly one that's easier said than didn't realize. And so, um, you know, I needed to really figure out how I would take that, take that idea to market. You know, high school essentially ended up being a really unique opportunity for us to build, build a product and take the first step to, to unlocking that potential. Delane Parnell is founder and CEO of PlayVersus, the official platform and league for high school esports. An entrepreneur from his teen years, early teen years, Delane shares the marketplace gap and customer demand that led to his thirst in esports. From creating, owning, and selling a team in the space to PlayVersus, he is all in and continues to study the fan and customer journey, which he says is priority number one. It's critical to his personal and business success. We also examine what has worked well and quickly, plus areas of the business he wished he could put some fuel on. I think you'll enjoy Delane. When I worked at Rocket Fiber um, back in Detroit, um, I don't remember the year, maybe it was 2015, uh, Mark Cutson, who's our CEO, um, essentially asked me to, to do some evaluation of some inbound opportunity, which ended up being you know, some guy who was a professional gamer in Call of Duty wanted to, uh, when they started this esports org, you know, they wanted to leverage our internet for events that they wanted to throw in Detroit. Plus, it would give his son um, edge in the game because all of the competitions at the time, for the most part, were in line. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I met with him. I ended up meeting with a bunch of other people within his network. You know, we, I personally fell in love with esports. We saw esports at Rocket Fiber as an opportunity to do brand partnership and build value for our company. Dan Gilbert, who's one of the um, primary investors behind Rocket Fiber, owns a ton of property in downtown Detroit and still does. And he wanted to leverage that property, or his team at least wanted to leverage that property um, uh, to attract esports events and make downtown Detroit the epicenter of esports at the time. And so, you know, I was really just tasked with the, um, the you know, opportunity to, to explore any sort of collaborations between Dan, Rocket Fiber, and FOC. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, you know, I tried to do so. Um, and, you know, I put a bunch of different, you know, opportunities on the table um, back to our team at Rocket Fiber. Um, and I think some, you know, trickled up to the FOC leadership. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we basically... None sort of came to life, um, and there was too many contingencies. A lot of it was publisher um, around the game publishers, like the game publishers had to approve and be willing to give you license to commercialize, and we were unable to secure those relationships at the time. And so, um, you know, I decided that I wanted to go and start my own esports team. So, so I did so. It's called Rush Esports, um, and you know, quick quickly sold that team to TSM, Team Pulamid, which is top org. Um, now and um, and they were in as well and uh, yeah and uh, left Rocket Fiber and decided I wanted to try to build something in esports and it's been 
um, sort of history ever since then. And when you built that esports team, did at the time did you think this was it? This was this is the end, or did you think I think this is the next space, and let me dabble here and and learn business in this space as we go? Well, I mean, I was uh, I was learning business through you know all of the due diligence I was doing on opportunities in the space. Yeah. Um, uh, for rocket fiber and FOC. And so I was already pretty fascinated with the space. And I, I'm also a gamer, like, you know, uh, uh, myself, um, another guy named Dre, who now works at Play Versus, our CEO, Mark Dustin, while at rocket fiber, all we did was the lobby and play video games together. Um, and so, um, so naturally being a competitive person, being a fan of sports, being a big gamer, um, you know, we, uh, you know, like I was just attracted to the space. Um, and, and, and obviously as a creative, you know, I had a lot of ideas for how, you know, I could contribute to the growth of the space. And so, um, so yeah, I thought a team was a really strong entry point. I thought a team was just a cool thing to also, it's like a novelty, right? Like everyone wants to own a sports team right. and here was a way to do so with low barrier. Um, but, uh, at the time it was just like the, the market for, um, org ownership just wasn't professional. And so it was brutal. Um, and the players were, um, like children, basically. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I just didn't have time, honestly, to, um, to, to, you know, be an under glorified babysitter. And so I decided that, you know, selling off that asset was the, was the best outcome. And, and, you know, wanted to go out and do something else. Like, you know, from, from selling that asset, I decided I wanted to, you know, explore uh, an opportunity to build a software platform. But I really wanted to hone in on what the best opportunity will be. And, you know, over the course of a year or so, um, you know, I really narrowed in on the um, uh, this sort of idea that the biggest uh, platform in esports won't be Twitch or won't be Discord. It's going to be a platform built around the essence of why people play video games, which is um, to build community and connect with their community, but to also, you know, compete, right? And so this, this, this idea that there can be a competitive community for gaming and for esports, um, and you can then monetize that and you know, get some sort of subscription business model was really attractive to me. Um, uh, but I, you know, it's a big, big, super broad vision and uh, certainly one that's easier said than didn't realize. And so, um, you know, I needed to really figure out how I would take that, take that idea to market. Um, and, you know, high school essentially ended up being a really unique opportunity for us to build, build a product and take the first step to, to unlocking that potential. And that thesis that you just had there, that was broad. Did it keep hitting you over the head everywhere you turned, or was there a was there a singular moment where you're like, "Oh crap, no, this is this is sitting here right in front of me, and it's wide open." No, I think a lot of people sort of had that that idea because a lot of companies were being built um, uh, in the space, you know, sort of acting as the layer on top of the competitive experience. For the most part, they were the same company over and over, so. You had at that time tons of tournament engines um, going out raising money uh, from Index, from other groups like you know Face It and Battlefy. I think Spark invested in Smash TV, and some of them had you know um, uh, they built out a lot of value in certain game communities. Some of them had built some really cool products or tech, um, uh, but you know all of them really lacked. Um, you know one thing I think is super important to uh, to you know have any sort of success. At, in the competition layer of esports, which is relationships with publishers, 
um, uh, that go beyond, you know, being a service provider. So actually having a relationship with a publisher that allows you to actually commercialize and monetize with, without revenue share or without license payment, um, their IP. Um, and, you know, I wanted to figure out a way to be able to um, really pioneer what that model could look like and build, you know, one product, um, deliver value back there. Um, and the way I would extract the value that, that I would deliver is by going back to the publisher and say, hey, I want to build another product and another product and another product. Well, all of those things really exist within one place. And, um, and, uh, and you know, that's how I, you know, assumed that I could get to um, this place of building this sort of single destination for your competitive community in gaming. Um, and, you know, the output of that looks like, you know, this one environment where people who want to play on behalf of their high school or on behalf of their college or recreationally in a head-to-head match or a tournament, which is pretty nuanced, or a season, uh, they can do so. Um, and I think that's a really big opportunity, and we're really early into that journey. But um, if you think about all of the success that we've had over the past two years since we founded the company in the last 15 months since we've operated the company, you know, I think uh, my assumption on, on you know, this opportunity, but the, the, the broader market, I think, range tree. And in those 15 months, what has gone faster than you thought and what's gone slower than you thought? And everything's going slower than I thought, to be <laughs> honest with you. Uh, um, look, I think, uh, I think truthfully, fundraising went a lot faster than yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, I never had any you know, assumptions around you know, how fundraising would go, but just from everything that you know, we've been taught and we, we've learned from you know, some of the best entrepreneurs in the world, fundraising is just a brutal experience. And for us, it wasn't. Like, there were some brutal moments, but it happened relatively quick. We raised three rounds um, uh, in a 13-month period. So we raised an A, B, and a C round in 13 months. And so uh, it was a super quick experience for us. Um, and, uh, and you know, we, we accomplished a lot within that time, like the time between every round. Um, but, uh, but it just wasn't that difficult. And so I personally feel extremely privileged and, and grateful um, for that experience because it really has allowed us to focus on building an incredible team um, and, you know, you know, delivering tons of value to our community without having to worry about if we're going to be in business, you know, most people would say 18 months, but even eight years from now. And so um, that's, uh, that's been a big blessing. Um, in terms of uh, what's moved faster than, um, uh, well, that, that's the thing that went faster than I, than, than I thought in terms of what went forward. And I thought, um, I think state partnerships, um, mm-hmm. you know, we expect that we've already, so right now we service all 50 states plus CC. Um, but, uh, but we essentially, we have this broad, this partnership at the top level with the NFHS, which governs, um, all and writes the rules for all high school sports in our country. And then they have these local offices that are called state associations um, in which um, they work with to sort of operate those sports at a, a state level. Um, the state associations also produce what's known as a state championship, which is the sort of highest achievement you can have in a high school sport as a participant or as a coach. Um, uh, we have to work with the NFHS to then convince these states to adopt esports, and if they don't like, if they do adopt esports, they'll do it with us. But if they don't, then like you know, like no one's going to force their hand. And we weren't really, truthfully, sure how that worked at the beginning. Um, but uh, we also just assumed that like it would, we get this deal done in every state, 
would immediately turn on esports. Um, and that's just not how it works. Uh, you know, luckily we've been able to, you know, while still operating in all 50 states plus DC, get 18 states to over a third of the country to adopt esports in, you know, a 15 month period of time, which still makes it one of the fastest growing sports in the history of high school sports. Uh, over like a hundred year history. Right. But, um, but you know, we, we, like, we see tons of value in esports. Our community sees a lot of value in esports. Kids are, um, uh, decreasing behavioral issues, improving their attendance, improving their standardized test scores, improving their GPA. Um, they're finding, um, community. They're, they're being recognized for talents that they have. They're earning scholarships. Uh, and we, we see all of these outcomes and it, you know, it's baffling to us that, um, you know, certain people in these sort of positions of power to make this, uh, this program available to um, kids who, who desperately need it, they don't. And so I think that that's like one of the biggest, you know, challenges um, and frankly why while still, you know, ha- still with having great success, I'm, I'm you know, constantly surprised that, um, you know, how many states have not decided to adopt esports for, um, for, you know, reasons that just don't make that much sense to me. Like, it's not a sport or we don't do activities or, uh, you know, like just give me a number of reasons, right? Like there's just like, uh, um, you know, when it's like the reality is like the job of these, most of these people in these positions are educators and they're really incredible educators, right? Like they're some of the most passionate people. They volunteer, um, you know, thousands of hours of time um, uh, to, to do work, um, uh, that, you know, uh, motivates kids and gives kids access to opportunity. And so I don't want to ever discount that, but I think some of the, the, um, you know, um, false narratives around gaming and esports has, um, uh, has, uh, you know, prohibited this opportunity from scaling at a faster pace within this sort of, you know, existing network. Um, because, you know, people are either, you know, not as educated or, um, we've made this more about politics than the kids. And, um, and, you know, I think that that's just, that's just an unfortunate reality to, to, to like what, what's happened here. And so, you know, we're, 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 we're constantly working every day, um, to fight that battle. And that doesn't just happen at the state level, frankly, that happens oftentimes at the school level, at the district level. Um, but, uh, but one thing I can say that I'm extremely proud of is for all of our, um, you know, uh, coaches who are faculty members at the school who volunteer, you know, dozens of hours every single week, sometimes with pay, sometimes, most times, so without pay, um, to provide this opportunity to kids. Um, and they're there to mentor these kids. They're there to teach them sportsmanship, to teach them critical thinking, to teach them uh, communication skills, uh, to help them get better from a technical aspect within the game, from a mental aspect around the game. Uh, we really appreciate that community. Uh, and we're, we're blessed to be able to, to, to engage with them. Uh, we're better people because we have relationships with them. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think that they're really going to be, when this is all said and done around how high school esports uh, has grown and become um, embedded within the culture of American high school sports, uh, you know, that several thousand um, uh, I, I think there's like several thousand coaches who, um, who joined play versus early and started to offer this at their schools and, you know, bring build programs that range from anywhere from 13 to 15 players to 40, 50 players. Like they're going to be the real heroes that we talk about. Um, and, uh, and we're, we're just, we're just constantly impressed, uh, and floored by the work ethic of that group. 
The, you know, and you used the word education, and then you used the words earlier in the conversation about early in the journey. Esports is fascinating in that to a, a large population, it, you get it, and there's incredible amount of investment and innovation, and then there's still a huge population that has no idea, doesn't understand it. It just, it's, it's foreign to them. It feels, while there's one side with innovation, it's like the internet 25 years ago or whenever that there's still a yeah. huge set of people. And obviously some of those people, as you suggest, are in the school system. A lot of those people are also CEOs and others with decision-making power. And they just have no idea. I mean, I was, I went out last week to the Washington Justice uh, home opener for their Overwatch down in D.C. And I just wanted to go around and talk to people. Like, who are you buddies with here? How do you learn? You're young. How do you do this in school? I mean, there does seem to be a huge education piece that people just aren't familiar with because it's just not what they grew up doing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's probably a bunch of reasons why that is. I don't think the concept of esports is really that difficult to understand. Um, you know, if there's a community around a particular video game who's super passionate about that game and the culture of that game. They love to compete in that game. And esports is an outlet for them to do so in a very organized and structured environment, right, where they form a team. That team either exists from an existing community, right, which is like a high school or a college, or it's a group of friends or colleagues, and they compete in either some format of competition, right, so either a tournament, um, which could be a single elimination, double elimination, round robin, like whatever is very nuanced, or they compete in a season. Uh, which is more longer form, requires more commitment, and generally structured like how normal sports are, uh, which is, you know, one match or two matches per week. And then there's the, the best team going to uh, a playoff, which is some sort of bracketed competition. And then the top two teams compete for a championship. Um, and that's not really that difficult to mm -hmm. understand. <laughs> um, and, so, and so, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure um, it's almost, you know, it almost seems like it's the disconnect is from the, the, yeah. it the, almost seems you know, the like, ability to yeah. understand what esports is. Yeah, it almost seems like it's not hard to understand it, so it's almost overcoming just the gaming aspect of people that get it and were gamers or understand the community or not, because the aspect of what you're doing makes a ton of sense with competition. I'm curious along the way. You mentioned yeah too. It's interesting that you mentioned that too because because uh, when you think about that, like the origin of every sport was that it was a game at first, <laughs> right? Yeah. Every sport starts off as a game. Uh, it's just uh, it's just a group of people passionate about doing something. They form community amongst that. They over time they continue to really reshape and rethink. Um, what the rules and structure are around that. And then eventually, and, and typically, by the way, on average, for at least our, our five top sort of professional sports in our country, a 55-year period of time went by, and then professional <laughs> uh, leagues started to form around these sports. And so, uh, you know, every sport is a game. And so it makes no sense why people try to discount esports because it's video games. Um, and that so, sense, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm always very just surprised around that argument. I don't think it actually holds uh, any weight. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned Dan Gilbert earlier. I'm curious who along the journey have been those guys that you've admired or role models or even 
you just you, you still to this day you're following because they, they figured out marketplace adoption or the customer journey just those folks that you're always listening and learning from to start right i think jay-z is uh um, you know, frankly, it's like my favorite entrepreneur ever, and he hasn't done much in tech outside of title. And he's, he's, you know, he's certainly helped um, with music innovation and, and, and entertainment consumption, like innovation around entertainment consumption. But, um, but, uh, but he hasn't, you know, worked in, in, you know, like some other bigger market around tech outside of that. But, uh, but I just loved him as a, as a person and his, his uh, business acumen and um, in a way he's able to navigate po- like politics and, and still continue to evolve and how diverse his, um, his, uh, his business portfolio is and how he always sort of sets the bar and execute at a high level. Uh, Scooter Braun is also another really good example of that. I was actually just with Scooter last week and we were talking about that. My first company, in fact, um, and it was just really like an LLC that I created to um, to basically use as a shell for all of these different random projects I was working on. It was called DP Projects, which is a play on Scooter Brown's yeah. company, which is called <laughs> SB Projects. Yeah. And so I'm a really big fan of Scooter uh, and I, an, an admirer of Scooter. Um, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of uh, Stuart Butterfield. I think he's a phenomenal CEO um, over at Slack. I'm a big fan of uh, Brian Chesky. He was, in fact, um, earlier this morning watching uh, one of his more recent interviews. Uh, on YouTube as I was banging out email. Um, uh, you know, I think there's, there's so many greats. Dick Costello, who actually happens to be one of my CEO coaches, along with Michael Ovitz, who's the founder of CAA, who's one of my CEO coaches. Um, both of those guys have, you know, helped build incredible things between Twitter and CAA. Um, uh, Roger Lee, who's one of our investors and, and is, uh, and was also an operator. Um, he's a, now a general partner at Battery. Um, um, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I have a ton of really yeah. incredible people, um, who surround me, who, who believe in me and, uh, and have helped me essentially get to the next level. Michael Dubin from Dollar Shave Club, um, uh, is, uh, is another good example of that. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in a very, man, just very privileged position to be around people who build categories and new markets and new way of, new ways of doing things and change consumer behavior. Um, and, and some, you, you, you mentioned the parallels between esports and the internet, at least from a perception standpoint, uh, earlier in this conversation. It's funny that you mentioned that because I actually think it's very similar. But if you really think about that over the course of history, that's how it is with everything, <laughs> right? It was like that sure. with cars. It was like that with, um, with the internet. It was like that with even specific companies, Airbnb or Uber, um, any company that's doing something that's just new, new behavior. Um, um, from a societal standpoint or against a societal norm, I think is, uh, uh, will face that sort of backlash um, or resistance, sort of early resistance. But over time, as we've learned over and over again, um, you know, if you keep working at it, you know, the way that people perceive or think about things change. Um, and, uh, and we actually don't let that noise drown ourselves out. We really just focus on our community. And every day, you know, I come into work and my team comes into work and we think about how can we deliver more value back to our community, to our coaches, to our parents, to our players. Uh, and those, their experience is what we put first. All right. So let's close with community because you just brought it up. Uh, what is that feedback you're getting every day of that you guys are nailing and the things that the community wants you to do more of? Yeah, the one thing that um, 
that the, I mean, the community always wants a bunch of stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, we, and frankly, like we want to be able to deliver that back. Right. And so I think the biggest thing that our community wants today is just more games. Mm-hmm. So we've announced um, and we've integrated and launched three games um, at the high school level. So um, we offer Rocket League and League of Legends at a varsity high school esports, which means you can play them for a state title in all of the states that we're partnered with um, uh, for uh, like no different than basketball or football. We also offer Smite as a, as a club product at the high school level. Um, but, but this means basically for Smite is available in states that we are not partnered with as, as, as so the other games, but then in states that we are partnered with, it's not available for a state championship, but you can also play it um, as, a, as a clubby sport. Uh, we've also announced uh, Fortnite, um, but that doesn't start until the fall uh, at the high school level, and that'll be available as a club product nationwide. Uh, and at the collegiate level, which we launched that business unit earlier uh, in January, um, we uh, uh, we just offer Fortnite. But we've already made incredible strides there, uh, and um, and we're on pace to be one of the largest collegiate operators in the space. And so, um, you know, our community wants more games, and we want to give them those games. And and you know. Candidly, I guess, or truthfully, like we're either in contract process or we've signed contracts for some of those games that haven't announced them. But the, 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 the challenge there isn't a matter of if there's interest in doing so. It's technology, right? Publishers have to build APIs that we can then leverage to integrate into our product to enable this experience. And that just takes time because publishers are, um, while still have, in many cases, have thousands of employees, they're just under-resourced. Um, with this sort of work. Um, and so uh, we're always fighting that uh, with the publishers. And and um, luckily, we've been able to work with some really amazing publishers in Riot and Epic and Psionics and Hi-Rez who really believe in what we're doing. And some of our newer publishers that we haven't announced um, who are also dedicated a ton of resources because they understand the impact that this has on the life of kids in both high school and college. And they want to be able to support that through partnership with us. And that's The Bond. Thanks for listening. 